Steve Perry, it's my pleasure to introduce Steve Perry, our next speaker. Steve is here, I, I think, because I saw him speak once. And if uh, the presentation I saw is anything like the presentation we're going to get today, I think we're all in for a treat. You know, one of the greatest tragedies of public policy in the United States is the failure of government schools that trap the poor and minorities in a system that denies them all the opportunities that can result from education. Dr. Steve Perry is one of the nation's leading voices for change, bringing to this topic the sense of moral urgency that it deserves. As an educational leader, Steve recently founded his third capital prep school, opening in the Bronx next year with support from rap star P. Diddy. Dr. Perry has been a commenter on education policy on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, pretty much covering the waterfront there, and on the Oprah Winfrey Show. He's a passionate advocate, and I think you'll, you'll really feel this, for children and families. He bridges the usual political divides and offers a no-holds-barred takedown of how the public school system has been failing those in need. He speaks from experience in a lifetime spent breaking the cycle of poverty and helping families escape failing inner-city schools. And I think that uh, you'll probably find from his experience that uh, his success in doing this um, has proved the adage that no good deed goes unpunished. School choice has been one of the greatest policy successes brought about by libertarians. When Milton Friedman first wrote about the idea decades ago, it seemed beyond the pale. The stuff of idealistic fantasy. And now we have uh, hundreds of thousands of students studying pursuant to school choice programs of varying quality in uh, more than half of our states. Um, we uh, have 2.9 million students attending charter schools, more than one in every 20 students nationwide. But we know, uh, we all know there's so much more to do. Unions and politicians fight to preserve their entrenched dominance and monopoly privileges, and advocates of reform are often put on the defensive, but luckily, we have incredible advocates and educators like Steve Perry on our side, and we're glad to have him here with us today. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Steve Perry. Well, rare is the occasion that I'm not the most controversial person in the room. Damn. So they bring me here, really, because my job is to make sure that there's no BS. And as somebody who runs urban schools in places like Bridgeport and Hartford and Harlem and soon to be in the Bronx, the challenge is not in making sure that people of color or poor people understand the importance of education, because we do. It is to make sure that the people with means understand that there are fundamental structural barriers that limit access and maintain a status quo that is so effective that when we opened our school in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is in Fairfield County, which as many of you know is one of the wealthiest counties in America. 
Bridgeport, separated from Fairfield by 24 feet of a creek. That when we opened that first school, 1% of the children in the sixth grade could do math on grade level. Do you understand how bad you would have to suck at something to miss it 99% of the time? Do you understand how God-awful you have to be? Imagine, if you will, anyone who does anything, who comes in and says, Oh, my God, I got a 1%. And your reaction to that person is, You know what? We're going to guarantee you a job for the rest of your life. We're going to give you a raise every single year just because you stayed alive one more year. See, when I say that the design of the system is so effective that it continues to produce, when we opened our school in Harlem, 1% of the children in the sixth grade who we accepted could do math on grade level. Now, the reason we're in this position, this position being that we keep pouring good children after good children into a failed system that is guaranteed to fail. Guaranteed. This is not something that we're hoping to figure out. We could probably spend more time discovering if water is wet or fire is hot. This thing has failed. It's already done. And it didn't just start failing. We've recognized that the traditional school system has not provided access to a quality education, not just for people of color, but for people in the United States of all colors. Newsflash. The reason we're in the bottom quartile nationally is not because black kids can't take tests. It's because all of the children in the United States of America are receiving a substandard education that we refer to as public. But the term public education means at its core to educate the public. If the public is not educated, it ain't working. And so where we find ourselves is trying to understand how it is that we got to this place. How do we stop the BS? By BS, I'm not being polite. I merely mean bad schools. <laughs> how do you stop the bad schools? We have to take into consideration why we're here. We're here because there was a shift somewhere in the 60s where the focus went from the children to the employees, where the schools became less about the children and the product of education and more about the employment circumstances. And as unions became more and more a part of the conversation, the entire goal was to ensure that every single person in the organization kept their job. Now, you got to realize that this school choice thing is real, is a, is, is, a, um, is a real threat. It's an existential threat to the very existence of what we've come to know, not as public education. Because the purpose of public education was never to put all your money into one building at the end of the street. It was always meant to provide a service to the public. Much in the way that, I don't know, Medicaid, Medicare, provide some level of service. See, when I find myself talking to a group unlike this one, largely African-American, Latino, or poor, I say to them, you're for vouchers. 
nah, 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 man, you got it all wrong. You've been hanging around white people too long. <laughs> that could be true. <laughs> this will tell me whether or not that is so. But I remind them that they supported student financial aid. Section 8, Medicare, Medicaid, the GI Bill, all our vouchers, public money used for private goods and services or public goods and services, ultimately in some cases to improve a person's access to a quality education, which we all know is the cornerstone of an America. An America in which we have a true democracy. You know, in the spirit of being out in California, I thought I was going to have to come out of the closet and say, I'm a libertarian. Because the more and more I find out about the notions of free markets and the ideas that every parent is truly the public. Every parent is the public and should be the means by which all public education is determined. No person should be forced to send their child to the end of the street school. But what has happened is the teachers unions have done a fantastic job of painting us into an intellectual corner and within which we fight over nothing. See, from 2011 to 2015, the teachers unions lost 200,000 members. 200,000 members nationally. In the state of California, there are over 600,000 children in just charter schools. Now you ask yourself, well, why would they be against charter schools? Well, because I'm going to give you some simple math. A lot of bright people in this room, so it won't take long for you to catch on. For every 20 children, you need one teacher. For every 20 children, you need one teacher. So if you do the math, that's 600,000 children. That's approximately 30,000 teachers. 30,000 teachers in the state of California are paying approximately $1,070 per year in union dues. If you cut that down to $1,000, right, you get $30 million per annum that they no longer have access to because the teachers who are working in charter schools are rarely unionized. Stay with me for a second. Some of y'all are pretty wealthy, I hear. $30 million is not something you just walk off. You, you, you lose $30 million through perpetuity. That's real. And if that number continues to increase as it has because just 20 years ago, there were zero children in charter schools. If 600,000 happened to end up in charter schools, in just 20 years, what happens if that rate of increase continues? See, the question is not about whether or not we want the best educational experience for children. The question is whether or not we're prepared to fight the teachers union and call them on their BS. Bad schools. So here's where it goes. What the teachers unions have done a fantastic job of, you got to give the devil his due. What they've done a fantastic job of is creating a conversation that seems binary. That if you support school choice, you are destroying public education. Because what they've done is define public education as the building at the end of the street by which they are guaranteed revenue. 
And we all say, no, we don't want to do that. Despite the fact most of us in our kids' private schools, who cares about that? That's just a little hypocrisy among friends. So we say, we don't want to do that. So they say, you know what you must do? You must increase the amount of money that you spend on public education because that's the problem. They tell you, you know what? It's because the wealthier school districts get more money, and as a result of that, they have better schools. Except for the fact that that's not true. It's a really cool logic. Because if you really want to spend, if you really want to send kids to the place where you spend the most amount of money on them, send them to prison. Because that's where we spend the most amount of money on children. And I would suggest to you that we don't necessarily get a great rate of return. And so here we are in a space where we found that in the United States of America, just in charter schools, not in full school choice, because we could extend the conversation even out to school choice, which I am a voucher proponent, not just a charter school proponent. I believe that whether or not a parent decides to have their child at home as a homeschool experience, or if they send a child to a religious school, or if they send a child to a neighborhood school or a Catholic school or, or whatever kind of school they want to send their child to, or schools yet to be designed, yet to be designed. That they should have what they would have if they went to college. You could send your voucher to BYU, or you could send your voucher to uh, Notre Dame, or you could send your voucher to Cal State Fullerton. It's called financial aid. And no one complains about that because there's not a big union pushing to make sure that we don't have school choice because what we see at the post-secondary level is that the United States is still a leader because we allow the market to dictate what it is that we want from our schools. And as a result of that, new schools are being opened on college campuses all the time because someone understands that in order to attract somebody to spend $70,000 or $80,000 at some of the colleges back east, you have to have a compelling academic experience. But if all you need to do is to put children in the neighborhood that they live and limit their access, then you don't have to work as hard. And you can suck to the tune of 99% failure. Folks, you got to understand what I'm saying when I'm telling you a kid can't do math at grade level at the sixth grade. I just want you to understand just the, what that really means. What it means is they couldn't add two-digit numbers. What it means is that they can't do fractions of any real note. They can't add and subtract uh, percentages. They couldn't necessarily, if you showed them a pie chart, they couldn't show you what 50% was. They couldn't do it with graphs. They couldn't do numerical representations even through pictures. Because what we've allowed the unions to do is to paint us in this corner. And then what we do is we also, and I got to be honest, I get it. The Dems, they get away with this because they get to play the whole, you know, I shop at Whole Foods driving my Subaru thing. <laughs> they get away with that, right? They get away with being able to make it seem like they're on the side of the people. Except for they're not. But where I'm surprised most often is the silence on the other side of the aisle. And I know how it happens. It happens because the union in particular, and many people would call themselves liberals in general, do a fantastic job, and again, you gotta give the devil his due, of playing racial politics way better than you. Way better. Because what they do is they say that you will destroy the community if you allow these children of color to go to other schools. Funny, I don't think the children of color agree. 
Because for years, the children of color has participated in something that we've often called the Underground Railroad, where they used their cousins or parents or someone else's address in another community to go to another school. And they didn't really care if that school was a school that was largely white or suburban or what have you. They just wanted a better education. In fact, if you look at the civil rights movement en masse, the entire point of it was not so much that Emmett Till had gotten beaten horribly in the way in which he did, but in fact, the civil rights movement started, as we know it, around Brown versus Board of Education. And if you would ask Brown today, would they send their child to that school that they fought to get into? They'd say, hell no, because the Little Rock Nine said, I'm not sending my grandkids to those schools. Ruby Bridges, whose image was blazed into our minds of being walked to school as a little girl, would not send her own grandchildren to the schools that she fought to get into. It was never about going to the neighborhood school. It's always been about going to the very best school because we all know the same thing. We will do anything we can to get our kid into a good school because we know as Americans what Ben Franklin told us, that you cannot have a powerful democracy without a strong educational experience. It can't happen. So here we are, still having these conversations, despite the fact that we know that in charter schools in particular, Students are outperforming the kids who went back to their neighborhood schools, who could not get into the other schools. So in one year, we went from 1% to 9%, which doesn't seem like much unless you're one of the 9%, which is a cool thing. And within two years, we went from 1% to 9% and to 27% of children being able to do math on grade level. The union's only issue is that our teachers don't pay into their coffers. But that's what they're supposed to do. That's what we expect them to do. What we don't expect is for people like us to remain silent on this, to not push back. And to say that in 1954, the Supreme Court made it pretty clear that the most regressive thing that you could do to a child is put them in a school that's closest to their home that is de facto segregated. Here's what they do. Because the unions are encumbered, unencumbered by the truth. On the one hand, they'll say charter schools are resegregating education. I didn't know you could resegregate. Cool, whatever. <laughs> Despite the fact that we know that the term segregation is determined by the government limiting your access. So if an individual can choose, much like a libertarian, what it is that they want for their life, then they have made a decision on their own behalf. That's not resegregation. That's choice. On the one hand, they will say, we want a woman to be able to do what she wants to do with her body. Awesome. When she has the child, though, she has to send him to the school down the street. She has no choice. We want a fair wage for our workers. We just want to make sure that we create more poor people over here by sending them to schools in which they will never be able to earn a fair wage. The limits are real and they're painful because you don't understand what this means until you're standing in front of a child who's 18 years old and says that they cannot read at all. It's not hyperbole. 
when you see a little girl who's 13 years old and you know she's smart because you've spoken to her and you get a sense that she's just got a spunk that, you know, 13 year old girls, old girls have, which is more than you need because nobody should have so much spunk because 13 year old girls are the meanest people on earth. <laughs> oh my God. Ooh. If you ever decided that you didn't want to like somebody, just meet a 13 year old girl. Like, oh, that's right. I don't like you. But to stare in her eyes and hear her say that she doesn't know that she'll ever be able to go to college. And you ask why? She says, I'm not good at math. She's right. But it's not because she did something wrong. She was just born in the wrong zip code. In the United States? That's it? That's the whole game? So when you come home from the hospital, where you come home to is determines where you have to live and die. Nothing about that makes sense. Who would send their children off to war to fight for that? Who would come to a community and open businesses to have that? It's actually absurd at this point that we're still having this conversation about whether or not there is even school choice. I don't even get why we're still having this conversation. We're still a democracy, folks. No one forces you to only be able to go to one library. You can move between towns and use the police. If you were to go to another town and something were to happen, you could call the police. You could use the public services there. It is because the teachers union want all of the money from their teachers. That's it. That's all. And we know that the schools that we identify as schools of choice, like magnet schools and charter schools, are in fact outperforming the traditional schools. We'll take it one step further. According to U.S. News and World Report, 15% of the schools are charter schools or magnet schools. 15% of the schools in America are charter schools or magnet schools. Yet, they represent 60% of the top performing high schools in America. 60%. And so here's where our good friends, the liberals, really show off their very awesome hypocrisy. So they say things like, you cherry-picked the kids. What the hell? Folks, do you understand that that is the pit of racism? To say that there are only some smart black and Latino kids? Damn. Damn. And you get away with that, huh? Couple Hillary stickers on the back of your Subaru and you just can say any damn thing you want to say. Just nobody just says that's some BS. No one, no, you just get away with that. You just get to say that, it's okay. Well, you, you, you kicked out all the bad kids. How did we know they were bad? We've proven what the teachers unions wanted us to believe was not possible. Not just we as Capital Prep who sent 100% of our graduates on to four-year colleges since we opened our first school in Hartford in 2005. What we, those of us who fought for school choice, have proven is that 
where you're born doesn't have to determine where you live or die. One thing that I know and have come to respect about networks such as these is that despite the fact that many of you are doing well today, not every one of you came in to the right address. Not every one of you came in with any spoon of any type in your mouth. But someone somewhere along the way said to you, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to extend an opportunity for you to have an honest education. Not a hand out, but a hand up. Just a real chance to go to school. That's it. And you, in many cases, can remember that person as if they were standing beside you today. Someone who believed in you. Someone who saw that you had the capacity to do something that your circumstances would not dictate. That's school choice. That's America. The union and their flunkies need us to believe that if you're born in a certain zip code, that you just don't care that much about education. Except for the fact that that's not true. It's the logic. The children who are attending most of the schools of choice in America are students of color, most of whom are poor. The ones who are using the Catholic school voucher programs that many of you have fought for throughout this country are mostly students of color. And newsflash, they ain't even Catholic. How about that? How many of you would send your child to a school that was neither culturally aligned with you or religiously aligned with you, but was the only chance you had? We're at a point now where we have to push back. We have to create universal school choice, period. There has to be the opportunity to choose the best school for your child everywhere in the United States of America. Anything short of that undermines the very beauty of our nation. I don't know what your faith is and don't really care much about it to the extent that it's not my business is what I'm saying. But I'm of the belief that somewhere tucked deep into some of the furthest reaches of our community, some of the poorest places, the roughest communities is where we find the next ones of you. Beautiful, beautiful little diamonds waiting to be harvested in the heart of that mean little 13-year-old or a 14-year-old brother who could not find his head if you pointed it out to him with the sign head. <laughs> that somewhere in the furthest reaches of our communities, the places we would, where we would never expect that it is, is the next great inventor, is the next great scientist. Because for somebody who grew up poor, who was born on his mother's 16th birthday, who had the opportunity to be in rooms such as these, I know what it's like to dream.
My two sons are growing up pretty middle class, and I've told them many times, I really don't think I would have liked you when we were growing up because you got too much stuff. And, and I've told my oldest many times, I would have stolen your bicycle. <laughs> it is true. It is true. And, and, I, and his answer was, um, well, I would have just gotten a new one, and that's why I wouldn't like your ass. But for many a poor child, it is only their imagination that carries them into the great hope that our nation promises. It is their imagination that what if I could find the next great solution? What if I could be the next great leader? What if there was something shut up in my bones that was bigger than these circumstances? What if I were given an opportunity to reach deep down and learn to add, subtract, multiply, Divide. What if I was learning how to read in English in America as an American? What if I could be given that chance to have a science class with a science teacher who teaches me science like someone who may become a scientist? What if I had a place that I called a school that treated me like a student as opposed to a means to an end? I don't profess to say that all schools of choice are great schools, but choosing your own school is great. So my job is a simple one. I have to stop the BS. I have to hold people accountable who are ultimately hurting not just our kids. It's not just our kids. It's our country, man. I have seen too many times children who are far more talented than their circumstances limited by their own, by the internalization of the system. That they believe that because they live somewhere and because they've never seen anybody make it out that you simply cannot make it out. And so I'll say as I close, Ready to answer some questions. Now, y'all don't try this stuff with me because I'll fight back. <laughs> I ain't the one. But let me, let me say, I need you to understand that we now have opportunities like we've never had before to create ap- academic experiences that we've only dreamed of. What we call schools today, honestly, are embarrassing based upon what our children can do. There's still legislation in many states that says you have to have a library of a certain size in order to build a school, a public school. No one ever says, but the phone in their pocket has more information than the library could ever have. So what if you just created a school in which you utilize this technology that they've had born, that they've been born with, their native What we have now is an opportunity, and more importantly, a challenge. Thank you very much for your time and attention. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was a wonderful presentation, and I uh, happen to agree with everything that you said. But there's one thing that really disturbs me is about 
the kids who don't have parents who are engaged in their life. And there are so many of those children in our schools today. And, you know, a kid almost needs a engaged parent or some kind of an advocate, you know, to get him into a charter school or to use vouchers properly and things like that. As I mean, you can't have a seven and eight year old kid make these choices without somebody helping him. That's a great question, and it's, it's, it's a logic upon which most of the, the opposition to school choice is based. But here's the problem. When you, when you push back and see what the real numbers say, the kids who are most likely to apply, the kids who are the ones who are participating in this, are exactly those kids. Even at the youngest of ages, their parents understand, if nothing else, that you don't need a PhD to know that that school over there sucks, and I don't want any parts of that. And, and, and one of the good things is it's not even about state test data. Many of you probably haven't seen a, an urban school. We're just talking about urban schools right now. An urban school in quite some time, but you're talking about a full pat-down before you go in. Like a, a full, I mean it like I'm saying it. You know how you get offended when you go to TSA? Like, why me? I'm not a, easy. It's random. Fall back. Trust me, I've been racially profiled. You're not being racially profiled. Get over yourself. It's, that's every day. So those families don't want those schools. They don't want them. In fact, schools such as ours have waiting lists of 2,700 kids in one community. And so those are the same people who everyone's saying, no, but what about if you don't have parents involved, then how are they going to get in these schools? I have a second answer for that as well. Let's just say that we don't. I don't want to stop the good solution in search of a perfect one. So let's, let's get the tens of thousands and millions who do have at least one parent who can fill out an application, which, by the way, only has, requires your name and address. That's it. Charter schools, the only thing that you're doing is writing your name and address. That's it. Okay? Yes. Thank you for your presentation. Here in the Los Angeles area, the best charter schools can go into Watts or Compton, and they can get just as good a results as the pu public school out in Pacific Palisades. They can go into a neighborhood where 90% of the adults do not have a college degree, and they can send 90% of the kids to four-year colleges. So here's the question. It seems to me that it would be in the best interest of the teachers' unions to look at what those good charter schools are doing and do the same thing in the other part public schools in Compton and Watts. For example, running the schools longer every day, running the schools on Saturday, running them all summer because the poor kids fall behind during the summer. All those things would give more employment to those teachers in their unions. Those, that's just a no-brainer. Why don't the unions do that? Wow, I didn't know libertarians were idealistic, too. That's awesome. Well, you know, one thing that we do not need to look for or to, to uncover in the United States is a good school. We have hundreds, thousands of really good schools in rural communities, in urban communities, in the suburbs. We have private and public. We have charter and the like. And, and, to your point, they're almost all run exactly the same. Almost all. When we were starting our first school, I went to visit some elite private schools in New England. 
and I went to visit a school, Dana Hall, which is a, a all-girls school in Wellesley, Massachusetts. And you ask, well, why would you go to visit basically an all-white girls high school? Well, because I wanted to find out why they were spending so much money sending their kids to this school. And what I found was, no disrespect to the girls at Dana Hall, but they weren't inherently smarter than my girls back at the schools that I had. But they were being taught certain things, as you just mentioned, a certain way with certain expectations that were put in place. The reason why is because they don't want to. Because the information is there. It's open sourced. You know, one of the reasons why the teachers unions initially supported charter schools, actually, in Minnesota, actually were the proponents of it in the beginning is because it was supposed to be a laboratory school, but the laboratory messed around and discovered some cures for poverty and like, oh, hell no, you cannot do that. No, you didn't. So they stopped them and they had to, because they've been holding this, this lie over our heads saying, but these kids are poor and they don't have parents and, and, and they not, they don't want to read and they're bad acting. As long as they can keep that lie in the forefront, then what happens is that no one expects any more from them and then they get the guaranteed employment. When, you know, you often hear, or I often hear people saying, well, charter schools are not held accountable. That's a lie. Some things you can, you know, right, in this day and age, I guess facts are whatever you feel, right? But there's some things that just are what they are. And in this case, it's so simple. Just like I still go visit schools all the time, right? Because I'm the most competitive guy you will ever meet. I hate losing. I know somebody has to, just not me. I'm allergic to it. It's not my color. They could do the same thing. When we had our school in Hartford, I say when, and I'll tell you why in a second. When we had our school in Hartford, it comes back to this answer that, yeah, there were 49 other schools in the city of Hartford. Our school was rated on U.S. News and World Report's top performing high schools in America multiple years. Over 70% poor, almost 90% minority. We actually had an inverse achievement gap where the black and Latino children were outperforming the white kids. Right? Relax. So, <laughs> so, small school, don't worry. You're safe, I promise. So, one would think. Simply, right, a couple business people here. If you have a school that 2,700 kids want to get into in a town that's only got 20,000 kids in the public school system total, you should open another one. Right? Wrong. The school system fought and guaranteed in a public open session, Board of Education members, Democrats, Latinos, black people, I'm like, are you serious? Stood up in a board meeting, said, you may have a school that has an average daily attendance of 99%. You may send 100% of your graduates on the four-year college for 10 years. You may have the most sought-after school in the city. I promise you, you will not have another school in Hartford. I said it's an existential threat. The very existence of successful schools in a failed school system shows that it's the failures of the other schools and not the children or the model. And until such time as we can fight that, because that's what it is. Because here's the other part. Many of those people who are fighting against the expansion of our school are sending their kids to our school. State legislators. 
state legislators, board of education members, the board chair, the board chair, luckily, don't ask me how, got three of his kids into our school. Three. Do you know the odds? Probably some of you do, but <laughs> the point that I'm making is that's not because people don't know this. It's an open source. Like everyone knows how to run good schools. We really do. We really do. Once we prove that good schools can operate in every single community, then we can no longer justify the conditions of the current school system. It is an existential threat. Once we can show in mass that it's not some fluke, some lucky thing, that if you just keep doing it like so many of these schools have been doing it now for 20 years, then this system that's not the public education system, but in fact is a public employment system, will crumble. It will crumble. Hello, thank you for your comments. I'm actually um, a proud graduate of the public school systems and I had a highly unionized school district, but our parents were highly involved in a highly immigrant school district, I wanna say, um, and we were highly involved with the teachers. Is it really just throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Is there no reform in the public school that could get question. it there? Because my, the school I went to, the parents, we used to have our PTA meetings in the gym because so many parents would show up. And they worked with the teachers and we were able to do things at our school because it was a community. So I'm, where is the responsibility of family and community and also making our public schools better so that the teachers also feel empowered? So I'll answer your question. First of all, school choice is about all schools, picking whatever school works best for you. Second, there are times that we look upon our own past and, and don't recognize that it's not all, that one public school is not the same as another public school, and a public school that doesn't have any AP classes, doesn't have any advanced math classes, that doesn't have any access to such classes is not commensurate with a school that does. And so what we put under the umbrella of public school is not by any means a fair comparison because if we don't have access to the same exact things, then it ain't the same. And if you take within those same school systems some very real challenges like how African-Americans and Latinos, even in, support, in, in suburban school systems, are still the lowest performers in there, but go into a charter school and outperform any of the other children uh, 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 from the same neighborhoods, then we have to look more broadly at what is it, the system that we're talking about. There are good schools of all types. And one could argue that parental involvement does play a role, right? One could make that argument. And, and, and who would disagree, right? But the question is more along the lines of, is reform possible? Well, we've tried it. We've tried. Let me explain to you the limits that I see as somebody who worked. The first school that I talked about is in Hartford Public Schools. Despite all the success, I had to leave that school and started an entirely different organization because the system was against expansion. Second, there are parts of the union contract that are simply, to your earlier question, that simply work against the very needs of students from historically disadvantaged populations. Like for instance, for Saturday school, we can't make people work Saturday school, despite the fact that we have children who need additional reps. 
if many cases, if you look at the teachers' unions' contracts, excuse me, in most parts of the country, and it's not all the same, but they're similar, excuse me. In most school systems, they only have to stay after one day a week for 45 minutes. Come to school 10 minutes before, leave 10 minutes after. You can't make them do that. You can't implore them to do that. Conversely, if you will look at, a, at a, many charter schools, many private schools, both Catholic and, and uh, I mean, um, you know, religious and non-religious, you'll find that that's just baked into the expectations of the, of the job. If you go to any of your friends or family's uh, prep schools, right, they have what they call the triple threat. They coach, teach, and advise. That's, you don't have a choice. You work there. That's what you do. And if it's a boarding school, you have evening hours and weekend hours. It's not that those kids are inherently smarter. They just have greater access to a better academic experience. Those are limits to the current school system that limit our access to a commensurate academic experience. Of course, there are people who've had fantastic public education experiences. I mean, it would be absurd to suggest that anything. And there are people who have horrible ones at private schools and every part in between. Mine is a push for choice and, and, and acknowledging that we have not been able in any large way to reform school systems from the inside. There is not a single city in the United States of America that has shown any real promise in that space. Every single school system in the United States of America, of which I'm aware, that's public school system, has had to create new schools outside of the school system with different working conditions, with different expectations, with different accountabilities to get any real, real growth in performance. And I say real growth in performance, I'm not talking about the 1% growth per year thing, which means basically one more kid can now add fractions. I'm talking about 20, 30% growth over the course of three and four years. There just are no examples of it. Again, does that mean it's not possible? Not possible, I don't know. Has it happened? No, mm -mm, not in any real way. In fact, if you look at many of the cities, like a Detroit, over 50% of children are now in schools of choice, like uh, Chicago, a large number there, like uh, 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 D.C., like New York, like uh, New Orleans, the parents... And I want to make sure that we bring this back to that. The parents who, by the way, still are the public said, I don't want to go to the school closest to my house. I want to go to the school that's best for my child. And the final part is this. I don't see anything wrong with a kid going to a school that has a theme. That has a theme of whether it be social justice or science, whether it be arts, languages or, the, or what have you. Traditional schools could run the same way but they'd have to first change their working conditions almost completely. So when we opened our school in Hartford, we had to get an addendum to the union contract just to open it. And then within that, we had to make certain arrangements. Uh, my final example, I talked about a little earlier. Before we opened our school, there was a young lady who I met who was a teacher at a, at a nearby urban school. And she was a math teacher in her first year. And she just was having lunch in her room and then a couple of the kids came down and said can we have lunch with you and then it became all the kids would come down and have lunch with her and then she'd be in there teaching math during her lunch the union the union her teachers other teachers in the building grieved her 
and said that you're, you're not supposed to be teaching during your duty-free lunch. That is against the contract. And you therefore must stop teaching kids who don't know how to add fractions, how to add fractions while you eat. That woman is no longer a teacher. Those are the conditions that are real. They're not imagined. It's the conditions of a teacher who you know has done something. I found a teacher in our first school, the one that we opened inside Hartford Public Schools, which was all union, had me in a union too, because I was opening a school in that district. I found a teacher asleep in a classroom full of students. I'm not talking about a room. I'm telling you what I saw. So I walk by and the kids, Mr. Renner, wake up. So he wakes up. I look at him. I'm like, mother. So he looks at me and I look at him and I go, I got a guest now, right? I'm showing my guest around my school. So I come back because I, I really just want to fight this guy at this point. So I see him again. He's asleep again. Kids wake him up again. So I go down to my office. First thing he says to me is, I just want to let you know, Dr. Perry, I wasn't asleep. Who are you going to believe? The person who was sleeping or the one who was watching them? What are you talking about? It took me eight months to remove that man from the building. Eight months. Eight months. And it was my responsibility to prove that he was asleep. It was my responsibility to counsel him on why he should not sleep with children in a room. His union fought me tooth and nail, wrote horrible things about me. Just because I thought that you should stay awake while I'm paying your ass. <laughs> Do I think it's possible? Anything is possible. I work with children. I have to believe that that's possible. Is it probable? Not at all. Not at all. We're kidding ourselves if we think that we can go into a system that has set its gauge to failure and making it be successful. It doesn't mean that there are not successful schools. There are fantastic successful schools of every single type, every single place in America. That's true. But to be able to go back in to fly into the belly of the beast and get them to, to change the way in which they've been doing things 50, 100, 200, 300 years, it's not likely. I think there's one more question. <laughs>